1: Good morning, Dr. History. How are you? Just great. It's a good morning out there. Beautiful
0: Crops day. are looking good. Beautiful and then the grain harvest in full swing. And beets look good. Be- yep. uh, beans. It's, it looks like it's going to be a good year. We are blessed. We are. Did you get
1: all your hay? <laughs> I don't need any hay anymore. I thought you
0: still had horses. You know, I hate to admit it, but I don't have any right now
1: oh really i thought you'd honestly did that's why i mentioned yeah i'm fresh out of horses right now fresh out of them huh (laughs) never thought that would happen um Uh, we still have some homework assignment from you that has not been finalized you realize of course you've gone from a straight a student all the way down to a d plus until you turn that in (laughs) that's still better than some of my high school
0: grades
1: (laughs) mine too did you real quick question did you really apply yourself in high school I did the basketball. Ah, you PE. sound like me. PE
0: and ag, you know, FFA.
1: Yeah. yeah, I was good there. But you know, when you look back on your high school career like I am now, uh, I really, I didn't apply myself. And I so wish I could go do it over again. Yeah, and my dad was a school teacher. I had him for
0: 7th grade PE, 8th grade math, ninth grade basketball I bet coach. you were
1: good at math. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, dear. What are we going to talk
0: about today? Well... The title of this story is The Bones of Old Black Harris. What? The Bones of Old Black Harris. Old Black Harris. Yep. Okay. Mountain Man. Uh-huh. Okay, so you can see the the uh, the the term the title fits this guy when I as I get going here. You got a picture of him too, I suppose. I don't. Oh, I don't okay. have this guy. All right. But anyway, you know, successful mountain men were often naturally gifted with a lot of strength, stamina. They had to be. You know, they survived days and nights that would have taxed anybody uh, beyond an average man's tolerance. But such a man was Moses quote, Black Harris, whose name was known wherever fur traders went. Now, Harris had two specialties, one of which was storytelling. In fact, uh, one guy said uh, by the name of Jim Beckworth, who was also a storyteller, labeled Black Harris as one of the Western Mountains' premier dealers in tall tales. oh Harris probably created stories from which others, including Jim Bridger, were actually sometimes given credit. But I, I'm going to tell you, uh, and so you might have to take this with a little bit of grain of salt about this guy.
1: <laughs> okay, a little grain of salt. A little, but
0: okay. uh, anyway, Black Harris, uh, he was a trapper, and one time he returned back from the hills after three years of trapping, and he got back into St. Louis, uh, back into civilization, and he bought him a bunch of really fancy St. Louis clothes. you know. Really, uh, But he sat down to dinner one evening, and this lady said, well, Mr. Harris, I hear you're a great traveler. And he said, I've trapped beaver on the Platte and the Arkansas and way up on the Missouri, the Yellowstone, I've trapped on the Columbia, Uh, I've fought the Indians, uh, but he said, I've seen a petrified forest.
1: A petrified forest?
0: And uh, with a straight face, he went on to tell this lady about a petrified bird, petrified trees, petrified
1: grass, and she ate the whole thing up. Are you trying to say that people in those days were much more gullible than they are today? I guess, because these people had never been out
0: west, and so they believed him. Really? But, you know, the mountain man storyteller's popularity hinged in part on the fact that he was forever adding uh, to his list of tall tales. Uh Uh-huh. And on occasion, Jim Bridger, normally a quiet and serious man, joined in the storytelling. And a traveler once asked him, said, "Uh, Mr. Bridger, how long have you been in these mountains? And he said, you see that hill over there yonder, that big hill? Bridger's quote is answering, when I first came to these parts, that hill wasn't nothing but a hole in the ground.
1: (laughs) Oh, they could tell the stories. Oh, they could you got to have a sip of water, and now he's back. I, I'm back. Okay.
0: But uh, one guy, uh, a writer, told uh, about the trappers. He said, they told us extravagant yarns as they pleased, and we believed as little as we liked. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells his one hunter would tell of uh, chasing an antelope for a full week over the Wind Mountain Range uh, without food or drink. And then the next guy would try to top him, of course. So he would tell about how uh, he rode a grizzly bear full tilt through a village of Blackfeet Indians
1: you know in those days though you've got to give these people credit I mean they had uh, they'd be hired by almost every movie studio oh, in California y- right now yeah
0: and uh, you know a good a good
1: storyteller around a campfire hey oh. you know
0: you sat around campfires and uh, everybody tries
1: to outdo you see y- y- where I was born and raised back in the Midwest it used to be all the Paul Bunyan stories
0: oh okay yeah,
1: yeah.
0: and out west you know about the Indians and the Buffaloes Yeah, there you go. But, uh, you know, although his stories made Harris welcome around the campfires, uh, he spent most of his time off in the hills making his own trails, weathering a climate, just rough, rough weather, as you know, out here. And he became known as a specialty in solitary winter travel, traveling by himself.
1: Solitary winter travel. In the winter, yeah. That's taking a big chance.
0: It is. Now, one guy who trusted his skills on the snowy trails was William Sublett. Okay, now I'm going to talk a little more about him, but uh, Kentucky-born Bill Sublet went up the Missouri with an expedition in 1823, uh, headed for the beaver streams and the Rockies. And Anyway, most mountain men were content to sit out the winter mountains, huddled around the fires in their skin lodges. You know, a lot of them went over here, over here to uh, Fort Hall. You know, really? Yeah, and, and stayed the winter. Okay. Not too far from us, but you know did they, they
1: stay in the casino and everything. I think
0: they did that nice hotel there. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, you know they're you know they'd work on their traps and their saddles and their their guns and uh, everything they considered essential. Gathering fuel for their fires, they hunted for meat and but they did not risk uh, lightly a lonely death by freezing or the blow of an Indian hatchet. But if the winter trip had to be made, they were ready to go, and in the heart of the winter, Sublet, this Bill Sublet, knew he had to get a message back to St. Louis across several hundred miles of frozen wilderness. Mm. Now, their agreement with General Ashley called for informing him by March 1st of 1827 if they wanted him to supply their rendezvous in the coming summer.
1: I have a question there for you, okay. and you hate it when I interrupt you. I but I... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was just going good. How, how did they find people in the old days? I mean, they said, go west. Well, you know, really, the west in that direction is pretty wide, it, pretty vague. It, it is. How'd they find them? Well, evidently, they knew where
0: the rendezvous was going to be the next summer, which... Could, and it doesn't say, but I'm assuming it could have been over to Jackson Hole or Teton. Uh, over yeah, Yeah, over there. But uh, anyway, so they had to arrange with Ashley their trapping season, and therefore the continued existence of their fur company if they didn't get word to General Ashley. So, anyway, Sublet, who was the partner in charge of business arrangements, decided to make the journey personally and look around his men uh, for somebody to go with him. Well, two travelers could protect each other and stand a better chance of getting through than one person might. And a traveling companion would take the edge off the loneliness during the long weeks of hiking through the white wilderness. And Sublet's choice for his partner was Moses Harris.
1: Uh-oh. Now, yeah. this is
0: probably a good spot to stop if you okay.
1: want. Okay. Real quickly, I want to rem- Remind everybody again of our dear friend Zach and his entire staff at Minicash Sales, 1321 East Main Street in Burley. I mentioned they've got it all for you. What an inventory to help you with all your remodeling needs, all your lumber packages, shingles, everything and also right now this time of the year, great to talk about those western windows, saving on your heating and not too far away cooling bills. You better believe it. Uh, they've got all the western windows and the Tartar Gates Farm Ranch panel Right there for you at Minakashi Sales, 1321 East Main Street in Burley, bringing you Dr. History.
0: Well, Zeb, like I say, if if you're going to go on a trip for two months in the wintertime over mountains and hills and valleys, you're going to want somebody that's going to, you know, pretty well be reliable and you're not going to have to be packing him, right?
1: No, to where you're going, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, so uh, he chose this black Moses Harris. Moses Black Harris. Anyway,
1: (laughs) you're going to get us all
0: in trouble. (laughs) Harris. I'll just call him Harris. (laughs) Anyway, he had several reasons for selecting Harris. Uh, First of all, this iron tough Harris could probably stand the trip if any man among them could. He was born in South Carolina and had come to the mountains in the early years of the fur industry. And he soon demonstrated that he had remarkable stamina, kept him on the trail when others would just not hold up. They'd give up. You know, it makes you wonder a little bit, you know, about some of these old mountain men. If they were traveling, you know, sometimes I wonder if they just kind of gave up and froze to death and nobody ever found them.
1: Remember the scene in the movie Jeremiah Johnson? Mm -hmm. Remember that when he finds that old frozen fur Uh, trapper with the Hawken rifle? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It answers your question right there.
0: So some of them probably were never, ever found. But anyway, Harris had rawhide for muscle and steel for nerves and... This uh, artist sketched him in 1837, and he said he was of wiry form, made up of bone and muscle, with a face apparently composed of tan leather, as if gunpowder had burned into his face. Mm. He was of medium height, had black hair and whiskers and brown eyes. So, I don't have a picture, but that's... You can kind of get an idea. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Well, Sublet and Harris, carrying their message to Ashley, left Winter Camp in Cache Valley, which is just right over here, and headed east for St. Louis on the first day of January, 1827. Now, Sublet allowed two months for the trip, planning to reach St. Louis by the 1st of March, which was what they had agreed upon. Well, they set off on foot because horses uh, would have found the going impossible in the deep snow, and besides, there wouldn't have been uh, uh, any food or forage for the horses along the way. So the only animal accompanying the two travelers was a pack dog. And they arranged small packs of provisions like the Indians did. You've seen pictures of those. Mm-hmm. So, And the dog could travel easily across the crusted snow. So, anyway, in addition to their supply of dried buffalo meat, blankets, rifles, lead, powder, the two trappers carried snowshoes, which they frequently needed over the drifted snow in the valleys. But for days, they pushed eastward, over ridges, along the slopes, two dark spots inching across the endless white landscape, uh, sharp winds. I mean, you, you know, you've heard of the stories across Wyoming. How did wind.
1: they keep their feet warm and dry? Because quite frankly, in those old days, they didn't have all the thermal socks and everything else.
0: You know, I, I'm guessing they did just what the Indians did. Had some type of a moccasin that came up to their knee. With a lot of fur. With fur. And, and I think they, didn't they use buffalo fat for uh, waterproofing yeah, or I something? Think so, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you can imagine the biting cold, the cold hands, the feet, their faces. Now, at night, they dug into the snow, dug a, a snow cave. Yeah. And actually were able to kindle a fire, melt snow for water. And then melt the whole snow cave. <laughs> you didn't want a big fire. <laughs> but they'd chew on their supply of cold jerky. Then they'd wrap themselves in their robes and, and sleep through the night with the wind just howling.
1: Ooh, that <laughs> so. sounds cold.
0: Well, summer or winter, you know, the mountain man on the move was constantly alert for signs of wild game. But Harris and Sublet found little game to supplant their slender rations. Now, among the animals they did take during those two long months of walking were a rabbit, one deer. One day they shot a raven and ate it. And I can't imagine that would be all that tasty. An old crow? An old raven. I see. (laughs) And another day they came upon some wild turkeys. Now, that might not have been too bad. You know, they yeah. got four of those. And
1: uh, but, Wait a minute, wait, you're talking about meat. You're not talking about old crow and <laughs> wild turkey. Uh, wild turkey, yeah. <laughs> yeah not you. Oh, okay. okay. Well, anyway, when they were still a couple of hundred miles out of
0: St. Louis, they ran out of food, couldn't find any game. Night came, and su- sl- Sublet snuggled down in his robes, trying to sleep on an empty stomach, and... Then Harris made a suggestion that almost sickened him. Uh, Harris had been watching the dog
1: Uh-oh. that had trotted along Here we go. with
0: them for hundreds of miles. Mm-mm. Now, the dog, he was also hungry. He didn't have any food. Yeah. But he continued to carry its pack, but it was starting to limp kind of badly, and Harris suggested that they eat the animal. Oh. Well, Sublet finally agreed, but killing the dog wasn't easy. Harris tried to dispatch the animal with a single blow of his hatchet but he was so weak (laughs) by lack of food and long days of walking that it just struck a glancing blow on the the neck of the dog and so the dog ran off into the night
1: Well, can you blame him? (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) Well, Sullet and Harris scrambled after the dog and they recaptured it and while well, one man held the dog, the other finished the grim job. And oh,
1: gee!
0: Anyway, Harris threw the body on. The I'm f- going to get letters for this story. <laughs> okay. Well, Harris threw the body on the fire to singe off the hair. Oh, my and God. roast the meat, and and it renewed their strength for the next few days. But boy, watch your Dobermans! <laughs> anyway, I got to have a drink. Yeah, well, <laughs> you got wild turkey over there. I know. <laughs> And then, of course, Indians were also a threat. I mean, the trappers had been underway only a short time when they cut the trail of a large band of Indians. Now, an experienced mountain man could easily identify Indians by the style of their moccasins. Really? They knew which tribe. Now, these were left by Blackfeet, and no doubt, uh, it was Blackfeet, and they were, you know, not someone they wanted to mess with. So, they made a big detour around this, uh, the warriors. Now, they also came upon a band of Pawnee Indians. Mm-hmm. Now, because of the advanced stage of their hunger, they followed the Indians, and they asked their help. Now, the Pawnees were just as bad off as Sublet and Harris, but they did succeed in trading his valued uh, butcher knife for a single buffalo tongue, which was eaten at once. Now, I'm wondering if they cooked it or if they just started... You know, you're really not helping (laughs) me for my lunch
1: in about an hour.
0: I I know. You won't eat as much. And Harris had injured an ankle, and Sublet, still hoping to stay on schedule, actually traded his pistol for a horse. Which uh, made their last their journey a little a little more comfortable. Oh, I was
1: going to say you ate him too. Uh,
0: no, nope. but they limped into St. Louis in early March, and in spite of all their problems, they were only three days late still in time and able to make their arrangements with Ashley for the rendezvous supplies. And the winter journey had to be repeated three years later when Sublet and Harris once more traveled to St. Louis in midwinter from their winter camp camp in Wyoming. Now, this time they traveled for six weeks, so they made it a little faster.
1: Yeah, but wouldn't they know that maybe that's not the best time to travel? You know, you would think they'd learn. Wouldn't there have been a better time? But
0: anyway, Harris... Yeah, July. But Harris, the specialist, he continued to make these winter trips as long as he was in the mountains. But uh, anyway, later on, as the settlers looked to the west and wagon traffic picked up on the Oregon Trail, Harris, Harris was among the mountain men whose guide services were in demand. So he led the eastern farmers, the merchants, the miners over trails he had memorized in two decades of mountain travel. And at night around the campfires, Harris told the wild adventures of wild animals and Indians. And of course, that fascinated the travelers. But he was setting out uh, to the head of a wagon train from Independence uh, in 1849 when he contracted cholera and died. Uh
1: oh. 1849. Thus, Harris Bones. Yeah, yeah.
0: So Moses Harris. He was also known as Major Harris, really? and sometimes they called him the Black Squire. And I don't know where all these came from, but so he was a Negro. No, no, I don't think so. I don't. It doesn't ever say that. Really? Yeah. So I guess because of his, he was so dark complected, like tan leather. But uh, anyway, but he left no family in the east that anybody knew about. But a Missouri reporter of the day wrote that as he lay dying, Harris whispered that, quote, among some unknown tribe of Indians, he had a wife and two children and asked that word of his death be spread along the route west so his family would know that he had gone under. Oh, my goodness sake. Anyway, so behind him, Moses Black Harris left his legacy, a man of special skills, not only in beaver trapping but winter travel and perhaps most of all in brightening the travels of those that heard his stories and repeated his stories and uh, long after he was gone. And uh, In fact, uh, uh, somebody wrote a poem about him uh, in memory of Old Black Harris. It says, Here lies the bones of Old Black Harris, who often traveled beyond the Far West, and for the freedom of equal rights he crossed snowy mountain heights, was free and easy kind of soul, especially with a belly full. <laughs> <laughs> I had never
1: heard of this guy before. Uh,
0: yeah, interesting. I wish I had a picture of it because... It doesn't say what yeah. national or if he's black. But or you know, or- when
1: they left in those days, and I've only got a couple of minutes left here, but like if he did have a wife and some children, and he's gone, I mean that departure was permanent.
0: Yeah, and you know we've talked about other guys that would leave their wives for a year, yeah. two years, and. They didn't know if he was coming back.
1: I want to get back to finding things. You know, it's so easy to say, well, they over the west and they found this settlement and that stuff. Think about that, though, today. If all of a sudden you didn't have a road map and somebody told you to find a community or whatever, it'd be doggone tough. And think about in those days, they could go right to the valley they were looking for or whatever. I wonder how they did that. Well, and, you know, if you've flown over the Midwest.
0: Oh, yeah, man. And, and you look down, and even today... You know, if you were dropped right there, I don't know that you could find your way to any civilization.
1: Yeah, yeah. So,
0: but anyway, they, they knew how to, you know, how to get around. Well,
1: I'm impressed that you found my place again this morning. <laughs> it was hard. I drove past three times. <laughs> oh, what are we going to talk about next week, including where the Indians got their tribal names?
0: I'm going to shoot for that. I see. I, I don't know. <laughs> I try to mix it up with, you know, different. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Now, how goes. many
1: years have we been doing this? This
0: fall will be eight years
1: eight years, yep. and you know really the repetition factor there 's still a lot of stories oh, out there i 've
0: got books and books you know, and uh, we 're actually I actually got uh, an email from a, a listener in Sweden and a listener in England last oh week my, really yeah they, and we 're in one hundred and five countries that have been listened to, and about three hundred and fifty thousand hits on that web
1: Oh my goodness, look at all the money you 've made. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Dr. History brought to you by Minnecasha Sales at 1321 East Main Street in Burley. Zach and the rest of the crew serving you. I guess what I'll do is just say I'll bid you a great week and look forward to having you back on next Tuesday. And I will be here. All right. Thank you You very much. All right. God bless.